and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your host, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Oh boy, we are over a barrel tonight. <laughs> yes, we are. This is this is a very uh, a barrel centric, phone centric, uh, strange little episode of uh, yeah, lots of people running around answering phone calls and trying to make sense of the latest bit of mystery. Yeah, this is an interesting episode because the liars are fairly segmented. Uh, in terms of like all being off in their separate storylines, there is some overlap. Like Emily and Aria are on the phone a lot, communicating with each other what's going on, and like Emily seems to be in contact with Hannah uh, to keep her informed of what Aria is up to. Um, but they're they're all kind of on their own uh, in their own arcs in this episode, and Spencer's is the only one that seems to be solidly connected to the mystery. Well, yes, and also Spencer is solidly connected to this ship that is steadily rising. Uh, <laughs> Spalab is, like, seriously setting sail. You, you know, it, it started last week. It's continued this week. Um, maybe even up top and have a conversation. What are readers doing? What is going on with Spalab? I mean, I don't know. They really seem... There really seems to be a vibe between them. Yes, there is a definite vibe. You know, I don't know if they were just wanting to try out some new character combinations or what, but it is it is odd that Spencer is spending so much time in this episode with Caleb. Characters are even kind of referencing them as though they're having an affair. Um, it's It's a bit strange. And I mean, the chemistry, like we said last week, it is really undeniable. Yes. Uh, I think that they wanted to use Caleb as something that Toby was going to be jealous of in multiple ways, like to give that a more layered aspect, perhaps. Whether Keegan conveys that or not is a different question, um, but I think that that is certainly a possibility. And also that they're really drawing a line of how Spencer and Caleb would both do absolutely anything to try and protect Hannah. Yes. Oh, yeah. The thruple vibes are are definitely strong. Um, should we should we dive right into this uh, bloody barrel of an episode? <laughs> oh, I I think we should. Uh, we start with the liars hanging out at the brew and recapping the stakes from the previous episode. A bloody knife. Mona's blood. Thank goodness Spencer and Caleb got rid of it. Holbrook might have planted it. Hannah found out his family emergency was fake. So if he's working with Allison to try to pin, you know, Mona's murder on them, that's kind of the theory of the week. Uh, also, Paige wants space, so Emily is going to mail her the swim goggles and CDs that she left behind and likely does not want. Uh, Hannah likes Emily's shirt, which is a pretty queer look, and we're going to learn later that uh, it's actually Paige's shirt. So that's a nice little queer moment between um, Hannah Lee. Emily is about to start her shift, and Aria lags behind the other liars to ask for coffee. Emily tries to give it to her on the house, and then charges her 50 cents. 
I'm guessing that Prezra has a special pricing for female students under 18. It's like a sliding scale uh, based on how attractive <laughs> he finds them. But Aria is in a state. She needs to find another college to apply to before Prezra can ask her how she got into Talmadge. Uh, anyway, as Aria's receipt starts to print, the machine spits out a huge roll of words. Uh, it is Aria's letter that she wrote to Jackie and the admissions staff uh, about her her essay uh, with Prezra that you know she believes may or may not be true. And at the bottom is a red line with the words, this kind of lie stays on your permanent record. This whole crisis is entirely of Aria's own making, but I love this particular A caper. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain degree to which like the the binds that A puts the liars in are always kind of of their making. But Arya's, this specific storyline of Arya's is, like, more that than ever. Like, she completely did this whole thing. It's not even, like, A submitted, you know, it's not even like the letter was in her drafts folder and A submitted it or something. She submitted it herself to Jackie and then is just, you know, trying to backpedal on all of this. But the other funny thing is, like, she actually got what she wanted. She got the acceptance, uh, the acceptance letter that she wanted. You're in, girl. Um, so it's just, it, Aria is like at her most Aria here. She's wearing a feather earring the whole episode, or it might be a feather in her hair. I'm not really sure. She's just like a spitting top. She's basically turning into, you know, A's task rabbit by the middle of the episode. It's, it's quite a time to be Aria Montgomery. Oh, for sure. For sure it is. But also this is, this is the outcome of her plan that even Emily Fields foresaw when Arya showed her the letter that she was going to send in. And Emily was like, oh, your adult man friend would be so hurt if he read this. And Arya was like, it's fine. I'm sending it in so I can get into the college and then I can just take it all back. And it's like, well, so this is the part of the plan where you were like, I'm just going to take it all back. But like, what does that look like? How are you doing that? Like, why are you now freaked out by this obvious consequence of your own action? Um, so here we are. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a real that's so Aria. Um, <laughs> Hannah, who is sporting a, kind of a queer look, I feel like she like went back into her bad girl Hannah wardrobe this episode uh, after a few episodes away from that. She's got like some, you know, some some black sheer things on. She's got some kind of um, distressed denim happening. She arrives home to the sound of her mom laughing and clearly is th thinking, oh God, is she about to walk in on another Jason situation? But in fact, it is Pastor Ted who goes into this whole story about what he's been doing in Peru and how he's been dreaming about Ashley's waffles and yuck. Hannah is not charmed. Neither am I. This dude is the worst. Uh, Ashley immediately gives Hannah a bunch of very obvious nervous looks. Uh, when Ted goes out to the patio, Hannah lies about having a migraine, and that's why she came home early, and lightly interrogates her mother about the Jason situation, finally saying that she knows what she saw. She wants to talk to Ashley about it, but Ashley does not. Um, I appreciate that Hannah is more confused than judgmental, at least in this particular scene. She's like, I just want to understand what happened. Um, but Ashley is is not open to having that conversation. 
I appreciate Ashley trying to have a boundary with Hannah about this. Like you saw something that you shouldn't have and it's not like, it's not open for a discussion between us at this time. And this is where they're sort of like Gilmore girls thing is like, you know, this is where it it sort of tests the limits of that. Right. Cause it's like, we can't just be a couple of, of gal pals chatting about our (laughs) various hookups with Rosewood gentlemen. Right. Right. Especially because Jason is like, he's at the age where uh, he's like a young lover for Ashley, but kind of like an older love interest for Aria, who is, of course, one of Hannah's best friends. It's very complicated. It it is. Oh, so <laughs> Emily Fields is working for a living, making coffee at the brew. She and Talia have an interaction that is rife with work tension. Uh, that the show seems to want to make the sexual tension. I don't know. At this point in the episode, I was liking Talia on this rewatch, uh, but I think it could be because I know she's basically going to be like a last chance exit for queer content. We're like a half season away from Harveyville. So anyway, Aria is buzzing <laughs> around and Prezra is here. He absolutely refuses to give Aria his full attention, being way more interested in arguing with his contractor on the phone. Uh, he briefly mentions Vassar and how he can make a call to his buddy and Aria agrees. She has this major thing on her mind, like her lack of college acceptances is a big issue he heard her talking to emily about it in the last episode so it's not like he's unaware of it um but he just really does not want to focus on it at all uh to the point that somehow aria winds up asking him if there's anything she can do to help him with the contractor situation and this is what becomes of being raised by ella and byron like aria has internalized the lesson that the only way to be a supportive partner is to have absolutely no needs of your own. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I had had the thought that like, it would make a lot of sense if the this whole college acceptance situation was actually a Prezra move, that he had engineered all of this to just keep Aria in Rosewood. It also kind of feels like in this scene, in this episode, but in this scene in particular, like he thinks that Arya is going to like break up with him or something. And he's just finding reasons to keep being busy. Like Prezra is very much like doing the drag of like, I am a very busy, important businessman in this episode. Um, And he's really enjoying, I think, being overwhelmed and sort of the, the, the performance of being overwhelmed. Well, I think that Prezra is always, like, he gets off on feeling that his rights have been violated, that he has been victimized, so that he can really, like, lean into his man-baby side. And this contractor is, like, allowing that to happen because, oh, he's being overcharged these bookshelves that he himself put in. Oh, and, like, then in the next episode, when he is going to find out um, about the the letter situation then he's going to be very willing to give Arya his full attention because he is a wronged party and so then he will of course want to like yeah. spend all kinds of time uh you know just soaking in that in terms of their relationship dynamic yeah he really loves to be wounded that's that's mm-hmm. really a mode that he enjoys um so Spencer, speaking of like, it's it's like the show has suddenly realized that, oh, college is a thing uh, because 
Spencer is staring nervously at her stack of acceptance letters. Uh, Toby is trying to psych her up, but Spencer is upset. She has applied to schools that she doesn't even want to go to to get away from here. And all she wants to do is wear a peacoat. Um, there are other choices besides Hawaii, I think, Spencer. And also the liars are being rather entitled about all of this college business. It's like, I got into a school that I applied for, but it's not the school I want to go to. And I am very, very mad and sad and feel that I deserve better. Um, Spencer, also, this is another thing where, like, Spencer made the choice to apply to schools that are far away. She has gotten into these schools, and now she's mad about it. So it's another kind of Aria situation of, like, you're mad at your own choice here, Spencer. But uh, she frames it about how this is, you know, Allie dictating her choices. Allie will always be able to get to her. Toby insists that Allison is in jail and questions the idea that she planted the knife. Uh, he also makes a really sort of weird remark where Spencer is like, well, you know, what if Allison has help? And Toby says, none of us will ever know that for sure, will we? Which <laughs> makes it sound like he's the one helping Allison. Um, just then, Johnny Garbage Artist appears at the door full of cash and a you know, coin deposit and lots of nervous energy. Toby hustles on out of there with his Rosewood PD bag that he's basically swinging around like he's in a dick measuring contest with Johnny. Um, he's got a real sour attitude, and Johnny immediately comments on the fact that Spencer's boyfriend is a cop. Spencer clearly is uh, not, not so this, as she says that he wasn't always. Yeah, um, this is like a weird moment because I'm so over Toby that I feel almost glad when Johnny Garbage Artist comes along. Um, but I, I like that Spencer... <laughs> I think you're right about the privilege that the liars are coming from in terms of their college processes. But I do like that Spencer is so paralyzed about the future that she cannot even open packets that are clearly acceptances. Um, I think mm -hmm. that that's like, because that's part of PTSD is having a lot of difficulty trying sure. to plan for the future because you're always like on some level expecting that like some horrible thing is going to happen. And whatever plan you make for the future isn't going to come to fruition. Um, so I thought that that was mm -hmm. like a good character note. Of course, Toby is not understanding about that in any way. Why would he be? <laughs> <laughs> also, I like your idea that he's the one helping Allison. Because previously, uh, Emily said that she was at the party all night. Holbrook was not there. Uh, so she says someone else must have planted the bookmark that Arya was freaked out about in the last episode. And we did see Toby was at the party. He was. It's just, it's such a weird remark. And the way that he says it is so strange. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I don't know what they were trying to get across there. Well, also, isn't Toby the police? Like, isn't it their job to want to know if someone is helping Allison? <laughs> Exactly. Like, it seems like kind of the point of all of this is to find out who is helping Allison. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's so Aria is going on over at the brew. She's still hanging out and maybe waiting for her adult man friend to speak to her. Uh, she gets a message on her phone and calls Emily over to read it with her. It says, stop looking for me. I'm tired of hiding. Grill at noon. H. Aria immediately thinks this must be from Holbrook and she must go as maybe he's tired of doing Allie's dirty work and then she'll never 
like not to just one conclusion, but to like seven conclusions all at the same time. <laughs> Way to multitask on that. Yeah, it's a bizarre chain of of thought processes happening here. Like she just she's just like I mean, yeah, she is really a spinning top. Also, I love how Emily is like technically working, but it's just like, oh, come look at this text, friend. And there's like a whole line of people, and Emily just walks over. <laughs> Talia has a point. Like this, this, <laughs> this room could use more professionalism. <laughs> I I agree. Talia is not wrong. Yes. Um, So Spencer produces a hammer for Twitchy Johnny, who immediately starts rifling through their garbage. Uh, He's just a freewheeling kind of dude. He travels. He dropped out of college. He like Spencer to make him a sandwich and also is making his own paint. He's a real like knockoff Jack Kerouac energy that I find really annoying. Uh, Spencer beams showing off her Botticelli knowledge and wanting to hear all about Johnny's travels to Italy. He needs an egg. And this is another very strange sequence of events because Spencer walks over to the fridge, opens the fridge. Her phone chimes. She picks up an egg. The egg drops on the floor and cracks. She says to Johnny, I will get you an egg later. He's like, no problem. I'm going to leave. Rather than just reaching into the fridge, handing him another egg, which would have taken less time than telling him to leave would have done. But, (laughs) go ahead. Also, there is no evidence that Spencer cleans up the egg that she just dropped on the floor. That is how long does she leave it there? That's like a breeding ground of bacteria. It's like, it's like racha. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not impressed with the hygiene of Spencer's kitchen skills in terms of her just leaving the cracked egg there on the floor indefinitely. Spencer makes a lot of questionable choices in the span of about four seconds here. <laughs> um, but when Johnny leaves, we see what's on the phone. I feel like also the scene is edited weirdly. Like, I think if they'd shown us the phone first, we would have gotten Spencer's urgency and maybe could have had, like, understood what she's doing more. But they show us the her phone at the end of the scene. Uh, and what we see is that Mona's IP address has been activated. Mm, yes. Uh, man, I feel like Spencer appears, like, very impressed with Johnny in this scene, which is weird, but I think that's because the bar for heterosexual men is at the bottom of a trash can full of rotting vegetables. Like, that is literally where the bar is at this time. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I also, I'm, I, am, I am doubling down on, on the theory that I posited last week, which is that Johnny is hanging around as much as he is during this weird Spalab era so that we are slightly distracted by the combustible Spalab chemistry. I see. So you think he's like dazzle camouflage for the Spalab situation? Yes. I think it's like, look over here at Spencer and her possible flirtation with this really annoying man (laughs) so that you're not paying attention to the fact that, like, she and Kayla want to, like, do an air vent. (laughs) I was like... I was on the verge of calling him Johnny Rotten Vegetables, but I was like, no, no, that's too interesting. We're just going to keep Johnny Garbage Artist. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Egg Garbage Artist. <laughs> later he just 
and like egg, egg. <laughs> oh. Okay. So <laughs> then we cut to Caleb's hacking lair, where Spencer and Hannah are re-upping the triad vibes. Hannah is on the phone with Emily, uh, the phone business that you were talking about earlier, to ascertain that they all got this text from Mona, but ghosts can't type, so what's up? Caleb says it was a ping from Mona's laptop that went out automatically when someone penetrated a layer of security. The text was GPS coordinates. They seem to match the location of the laptop, which is at a storage place in a remote location. Aria is meeting Holbrook, they think, so the three bedmates, I mean musketeers, decide that there is enough time <laughs> to run out there and check it out. Except that then Hannah gets a call from Pastor Ted and randomly has to go meet up with him right away. Yeah, it's it's strange. It, it's again like more like more phone stuff, lots more phone stuff. These three, like, it's, there's, there's a vibe. There is a definite vibe. And there's a definite vibe of, like, Hannah's kind of, like, their little lady, you know, in all of this. Um, also, I really like the line from Hannah where she's like, if you see anything suspicious, don't pick it up to Caleb. And then she, like, turns to Spencer and is like, don't let him pick anything up. Holbrook's a rat. Um, I like how quickly Hannah has pivoted on Holbrook, too. Um, also, this scene ends, like... You would think the scene would just end with like Hannah walking out. Instead, it ends with this moment of Spencer and Caleb eye contact that like seems like it could be like, well, Hannah's gone. You want to you want to get busy? Yeah, I agree. The vibes are very strong, whether Hannah is there or not. Yeah. Also, yeah, I don't I, I think Hannah thinks that Pastor Ted knows about the Jason thing. And that's why she's so freaked out. Like she feels like she has to like deal with it urgently, but it's like, it just, Hannah just seems very on edge through all of this. Well, I feel like in this episode we're we're getting this, like, it, it seems like the point that the writers are trying to make is that Hannah is attached to pastor Ted because she is like attached to the idea of having a father figure and being a family. And I think that that's fine as far as Hannah's character goes, but I think that the writers should have actually done some work on developing a relationship between Hannah and Pastor Ted before this very episode. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think it's, it's, especially because like the way that it comes across, like because Hannah is so nervous about the Jason thing, it sort of comes across like she's saying that she wants her mom and Pastor Ted together, but she like kind of doesn't. Like it's just, it's it's all very uncomfortable. Yeah, and I don't know that we've ever seen Pastor Ted call Hannah before. So that too seems sort of weird and out of place. Yeah, it does, it does. And also just Pastor Ted is the worst. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true as well. Yeah. So um, Arya is waiting for Holbrook when Jason strolls up and Arya just like decides that Holbrook isn't going to be there. She's, she's like, he's not coming. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be involved in this thing now. Uh, Arya asks Jason how Allison is. Uh, he says that he saw her once and that was enough. Then it's time for Jason's phone to start pinging. Ashley canceled on him and invites Arya to an alley-centric lunch. 
Um, I like the idea of these two talking about Allison. I have some questions about their conversation when we get to the second half of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know uh, that I like Jason and Arya together. So I like this this way of getting them to have a lunch together. And that the show is like reminding us of Jason's like weird in-between status where he's like kind of a peer of, of both of these age groups. Uh, but also, like, neither. He doesn't really fit with either of them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Jason is kind of, he struggles a little bit to where he fits. But this is another situation where, like, we've seen Arya interacting with Prezra, who, like, didn't even have time to look at her. Uh, and then we get her having this, like, interaction with Jason, where they're actually having a conversation together. And wow, that must be nice. It must be nice for you to have a conversation with anyone that's not about themselves. Um, and also like we see Spencer and Caleb having like a relationship together that's very different than the one that Spencer has with Toby. Yeah, or the one that Caleb has with Hannah. Agree, agree. Uh, so, uh, Emily and Talia are working together slash hate flirting slash just hating each other. Uh, Emily is not happy that Talia is making cleaning supplies more accessible, <laughs> which seems like a weird hill to die on. Um, and Talia is also suggesting that maybe the staff could wear uniforms to increase, like, the professionalism, uh, especially when she kind of says she thinks it would be neater uh, and kind of singles out Emily's t-shirt that has a hole in the shoulder. Uh, these two do not have a ton of chemistry together, so it seems like the show is leaning into the animosity at this point instead to try to give, uh, you know, some sense of sparks. Yeah, they're definitely trying to have, like, kind of a, a hate flirt thing, but it's it's just not not really landing well no especially because talia has not like suggested anything unreasonable at this point having cleaning supplies out front under the counter okay like that seems like that would be fine uh and also just the idea of uniforms especially like i don't think it's unreasonable to say that like at your job when you're in a customer facing role that maybe you shouldn't have unintentional rips in your clothing that seems like that seems not unreasonable to me well it's also weird because in the last episode emily was like hire her to presra but now emily seems really mad that she works there mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so uh spencer and caleb arrive at the storage locker uh, Spencer announces that she has bolt cutters, which is like act one of their foreplay. But apparently those won't work on this like super mega lock that is uh, on, on this particular storage unit. Suddenly, Mrs. Horowitz appears. Who We've seen Mrs. Horowitz before. I don't remember her having such gay vibes last time, but I definitely <laughs> got a gay vibe from her this time. Uh, she wants to catch up with Spencer and seems kind of suspicious when she recognizes Caleb. She's like, hey, you, young man, where do I know you from? Uh, he sulks off, claiming that he's going to the bathroom, uh, but uh, discreetly pulls a soda can out of the trash. 
uh, as Spencer engages with Horowitz, trying to find out some intel, intel on the neighbors. She learns that there's a bad smell in this storage unit. And also there was a blonde here, but Horowitz didn't get to see her face. I love when Spencer has to like kind of play along and do a little, you know, spy mission. Uh, uh, Caleb returns as Horowitz leaves. He has made a shim to pick Horowitz's lock, uh, which again, Spencer is just, Spencer is just swooning at this point. You know that she is. Well, yeah, Caleb like made a whole plan. He like made tool. He has a plan to get into the Horowitz locker instead of the actual locker they need to get into that has an impossible to crack lock. Um, there's there's a lot going on here between the two of them. There is, there is. And like he, I feel like Caleb is just like completely speaking Spencer's love language in this episode. It's true. It's true. They have so much in common, including that Hannah could fall for either of them. Exactly. And that they and that they both have an uncomfortable relationship with Mona that like has a, a both a, a sort of sexual and sort of like a psychosexual edge to it. <laughs> so true. So true. Ugh. Okay, so um Aria and Jason are talking about Allison. Um and then Jason is confiding that the police have a theory that Allie had help dumping Mona's body. Um, Aria tells him their theory about Holbrook. And this is really like an interesting, like everybody putting their cards on the table here. Um, Aria tells him their theory about Holbrook. Jason is disgusted by the cops in this town. And I agree with him. Aria gets a text message giving her some cross streets to be at in an hour for the next stop on her Where's Holbrook scavenger hunt. I feel like this, so my thoughts on this scene are that I feel like you could absolutely read this scene as Jason is playing Aria to get information because Ooh. Aria is so unself-aware here <laughs> as she just divulges everything. And it's like, it doesn't really seem like, like for, for the audience's sake, it doesn't really seem like Jason needs to know this information unless he's somewhat in on it. Um, so it's, 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 I don't think that's what's actually happening, but I think it's an interesting read that Jason could be trying to get some info about what the liars know from Aria. Yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, but also why are the police sharing all this information with Jason? Is it just because he's a white guy in Rosewood? Like they're like, Hey, we're going <laughs> to tell you our theory that somebody helped Allison move the body. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you seem like an upstanding young man. <laughs> What's your theory? <laughs> um, Caleb is back in his home of the air ducts. Um, I love the moment where Hannah calls him and she's like, babe, you sound like you're in an air duct. And he's like, that's because I'm in an air duct. And we see him like crawling around. Uh, Hannah is on her way to meet Pastor Ted and seems very unfazed by the fact that her boyfriend is in fact in an air duct. Um, we we cut over to the, the meeting with Pastor Ted. He seems nervous as he leads Hannah to a bench to talk. She clearly thinks that this is about Jason. And there's this brief sort of who's on first moment where they uh, try to determine what the other one is talking about. Ted announces that he wants to ask Ashley to marry him. And he wants to ask Hannah's permission 
because he wants them to be a family and to make sure that she is all in. And he's planning to do all of this tonight, which is like not giving Hannah very much time to think about this. Also, he frames this as like, I want to ask your permission. And then he doesn't really ask her permission. Like he kind of like, just is like, this is the plan. Get on board. Um, And he says that he wants Ashley to be surprised. Uh, and then as even though like clearly he and Ashley have never talked about the idea of getting married like that's very obvious which is like a weird I don't know it's a weird element to all of this Um, when Ted leaves Hannah calls her mom saying that they need to talk oh man I I feel like Pastor Ted like he clearly has the, the Byron and Ella idea of how involved a kid should be in your relationship yeah and I just I find it so odd that at this stage of life they would not have had a conversation about like is marriage something that we want like is is are we planning on wanting to move in together like where does Hannah fit into all of this like it's there's also always kind of been this vibe of with Pastor Ted that he's like somebody who moves around like moves to different parishes or whatever and it's like how does that fit in it's just very strange. Agree. Agree. Uh, also strange, Aria is on the phone with Emily again, announcing that she is now waiting outside a flower shop. Uh, she thinks that Holbrook spooked when he saw her with Jason. Well, maybe she should have waited longer than two seconds to decide that he wasn't showing up at the original place. Anyway, now she's waiting in the new location, but will continue to check in. This is a weirdly unnecessary phone catch-up. It is. Yeah, I, my note on this is like, Arya, you're the one who changed the plan. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to be like, Holbrook spooked. Like, you spooked him. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is what comes of choosing Arya to be A's task rabbit. Like, she is immediately going to be distracted by the first shiny thing uh, that comes along and is going to, like, forget all about why she's there. And I like how she frames all of this as if like, oh, like this was, you know, this was my master plan. Like I, you know, I got, I got this info from Jason and it's like, no, you didn't, Arya. <laughs> like you don't, you don't know what you're doing. Um, so Emily walks back into the kitchen at the brew and Talia asks if her t-shirt was a gift from an ex, which seems awfully per- uh, perceptive of Miss Talia. Uh, she apologizes and tries to relate by offering another food metaphor because all of Talia's metaphors are cooking related. She starts talking about this stew recipe that's that you know everybody makes it the same way, but sometimes you need to add olives or peppers, and you can make something old feel brand new. Emily says that she's not ready to feel brand new. Well, how can she be when she's carrying her old relationship on her back? Emily walks out. And my next theory of this episode is that Talia is basically Prezra, but slightly less creepy and with cooking instead of literature. I have that note, too, that that later, that that's obviously why they're friends. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, like, sub in literature metaphor for every cooking metaphor. And this is basically Prezria dialogue. Yes. Yes. Very horrifying. Um, so Caleb and Spencer make it through the air vents, and this is so obviously the life that Spencer wants. Like, she wants a partner that she can do crimes with 
without complications. Uh, they find Mona's laptop, but Spencer cautions Caleb not to touch it. Everything she thinks is too neat. There are bloody clothes and evidence bags. They theorize the knife might have come from there as well, and that Holbrook could be planning to use all of this to build a case against them. Caleb thinks he sees someone on the other side of the unit and makes Spencer duck down. Spencer, however, realizes that it is just a chemical suit, and they subsequently discover a very ominous barrel, as well as chemicals that make them conclude Mona's body is in there and is either being pickled or dissolved into sludge. Spencer, for reasons mysterious to all, uh, reaches out as if she is going to touch the barrel with her ungloved hand before it fades to black. Yeah, this is a very creepy scene. Like, even just the image of all of the, like, bagged evidence and, like, the bloody clothes, like, that in and of itself is really creepy, like, seeing all of this in the storage unit. But then when they get into the the room with the barrel, you know, and, the, like, Spencer talking about how they could, it, the, the chemicals could be preserving a specimen or dissolving it, like, ugh, it's, it's it's grim it's grim also this feels like a little breaking bad shout out because they've got the hazmat suit and then in breaking bad they dissolve a body and so yeah this is this is like i feel like this is the dollhouse is really the pinnacle of where pll like goes super dark but i feel like we are getting there with this whole mona barrel business well yeah this would be really dark if it were mona's body that was in right the barrel. <laughs> Uh, and that's one of my, like, that's one of my feelings about this episode is that you really don't get a sense of that same suspense in subsequent watches because we already know that this barrel is just a MacGuffin that like, we never even know who's in there. It's just like, I think, I don't even know if it's resolved on screen or if Marlene just says in an interview later, like, oh, it's just some body from like the, the med school or something like, um, so I, I, but I feel like that's actually a metaphor for like this part of the season. Like we have the first part of season five where maybe there wasn't an A and it seemed like the crime that was under, like under investigation was who killed Bethany Young. And, and now that Mona has disappeared, now the mystery of Bethany Young has completely sunset. And so that was just like a holding pattern until we got to this other crime of who killed Mona but then we're going to eventually find out that that wasn't a crime either because Mona isn't dead and there's nobody of any consequence in this barrel. So this is really like a part where we get to a ca cascading systems failure in terms of the storytelling. Yes. Yeah. And and really a, an era where it's these sort of like two episode mini mysteries that get really quickly resolved. Like I'm thinking of like the the Leslie Stone thing. Or like, you know, all these little things where it's like, oh, this this seems like this or, or even this Holbrook thing. Like this is going to be resolved in not that much longer. Um, but it's, you know, they're so intensely convinced that somebody is involved. Larger mystery. Yeah. Um, I'll just recap these next two little scenes because they're so short. Um, Aria, who has spent this entire episode just waiting around is standing outside the flower shop when she is handed a bouquet of flowers and told to deliver it to an address she recognizes. Meanwhile, Emily mends the shirt and prepares to send it back to Paige. Mm. 
Uh, Ashley is coming in with groceries, and Hannah is here to interrogate her about Jason. Ashley firmly declines to discuss this with her daughter, but Hannah is now moving on to the subject of Ted, who's a really good guy, and Hannah likes them together, etc. Uh, poor Hannah. Like, I, I would buy that she's vaguely attached to Ted as a father-type figure, um, but Ashley does not say whether or not she plans to tell him about what happened. She does look pretty uncomfortable. Worth noting that one of Hannah's worries is Ashley losing her job if things go south due to Jason being her boss, which, valid. Yes, yes, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's, it's interesting that Hannah, like, Hannah is, I almost wonder if Ashley Benson didn't like this storyline, because I feel like Hannah is saying, I like you with Ted, I like this, this relationship that you have. <laughs> But I, I don't feel it. Like, I don't really feel it in the performance at all. It's it, Maybe she just didn't know exactly how she wanted to play it. Could be, but I, I agree there does seem to be a disconnect. Yeah, for sure. Um, so back at Caleb's, Spencer is very concerned about what she and Caleb might have touched. Uh, she's being a thesaurus, he tells her. She she's, counters that she's being meticulous. It's... The I'm 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 sorry to be a broken record, but like the volleying, the chemistry, the dialogue, it is it is crackling between these two. Um, Caleb has wiped the security footage, and they're considering how to tie Holbrook into the storage space. Uh, there's a question about Toby, and then Spencer comes over and sits on the edge of Caleb's desk. It is like. Oh my God! Like, what is going on here? Like, I feel like we're this, this is like out of like the Philadelphia story or something. Like, it's so flirty. There's like this like early evening sunlight streaming in. It feels like they're about to make out. She says that she doesn't want to risk Toby's job, um, but considers whether they could track down the lease of who's leasing the storage unit. Seems like something they could have maybe thought about a little bit earlier. Um, but Caleb. Uh, he says that he can do this and then says that he should have gone after the knife on his own. Toby is freezing both of them out, but who cares if Toby is freezing them out when there is so much heat between these two? <laughs> oh my gosh. Spencer perching on that desk. There are so many other areas of this apartment that she could be in. It's not like they're in a storage closet and space is limited. She has a lot of choices and she chooses to perch right there. Um, literally right there. Also, what in the world is happening? Spencer, on one hand, does not want Toby to be a cop, but on the other hand, doesn't want I to know. risk Toby's job. Like, make up your mind. Why not risk his job? Like, him getting fired would be the best thing for your relationship. Yeah, it's, it's, I know we we talked about this either last week or the week before, but the whole sort of sudden framing of Toby being a cop as like, oh, this is his dream job. Like, we have to protect his job at all costs. When the whole alleged reason that he joined the police force was for the liars and so he would be a man on the inside is utterly bizarre. Yes, it's th that has been completely forgotten, it seems like, because he doesn't seem interested in helping them at all. Well, and it's yet another example of the show, like, rewriting Toby's character season to season. Like, it's like now they need this conflict of he's on the police force. 
they have an inside man that they're in conflict with. They've just decided that like, oh, yes, Toby is a cop. This is his dream. Even though, as we've previously talked about, Toby hates the cops and the cops hate him. <laughs> ah, well, so Hannah gets a text right as the doorbell rings. It's Aria with the flowers. This is where she's supposed to deliver them, specifically to Ashley. Uh, shout out to it having taken Aria so long to walk over here that it's now dark of night. Uh, Hannah tosses her upstairs. <laughs> And Arya reads the card, which is ostensibly supposed to be from Jason. Arya is confused. Hannah explains that this is just Allison going after her because she went to visit Allison in jail. Arya is shocked and upset. She blames Hannah for Arya being the hamster on the wheel all day. Oh, Arya. <laughs> Hannah says that she will tell the others, but she needs Arya to forget about the flowers. And basically get out. This is a very like funny scene. Just the rhythm of it. Of like Hannah is constantly trying to deflect. Anytime Arya is like talking about the flowers. Or Jason or Ashley. It's like no no it's Allison. We're talking about Allison and Holbrook. You know like she's just. She's doing her own dazzle camouflage. But I do think there's this interesting sort of point. That's made here. Where Arya is like I've been the one running around. Doing Allison's dirty work basically. And Hannah says, I am the one who faced Allison for all of us. And I I think that that's sort of interesting in terms of like, you know, Spencer talked earlier about how Allison is still sort of dictating their lives. And it's like there's this way in which the liars have completely created this whole narrative that Allison is still sort of assigning them these roles, even though we, the audience, know that Allison isn't doing that at all. Um, and it's like. Hannah is now the one who faces Allison and Arya is now like the one who does Allison's bidding. And like Spencer is now kind of the one on the mystery. And Emily isn't allowed to think about Allison because we've <laughs> entered the MS dead zone. Um, but it is interesting the way that they've like, it's, you know, it's that way in which, you know, there, there are times when they don't even need a, to spin themselves out. They don't even need Allison to like make themselves into her minions. Oh, that's, that's a really great point. I was thinking when Arya says that about how she's been on the hamster wheel all day, um, that Arya is so often apart from the main plot line that she is very ill-equipped to handle it whenever A sets yeah. their sights on her. And I feel like this whole plot line is a very proto-Avataria plot line uh, because it's similar to like, oh no, she at one point thought a bad thought about Prezra. Gasp! She must never let him know. Like, that's the exact same stakes that we're going to see in the Avataria plotline. Uh, and in both cases, Arya, uh, in fear of Prezra knowing that she thought about, thought about him, is willing to go to, like, whatever hamster wheel lengths are assigned to her. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's almost like Arya is trying to, like, outrun her own thoughts about Prezra in a way that's that's interesting to think about I also love that whenever Arya is within a sights she's so dramatic about it like remember when she like almost got stabbed with that knitting needle and she <laughs> wanted credit for it for like five episodes straight <laughs> yeah and she's like she's had kind of a, a tricky half season she got like nail gunned inside of that plastic now she had to deliver some flowers. I mean, oh my it's god, not, it's not easy being Arya. Meanwhile, Emily's had like how many girlfriends killed off at this point? Like, 
know. Oh, boy. Um, so Spencer and Toby are playing a really terrible looking game of Scrabble. I feel like this is such a Hail Mary in their relationship of like, I feel like Toby was like, um, Scrabble? Sure. Like, you know, it used to be this thing that bonded them. And now it's like the symbol of them. It's basically the like, Spoby equivalent of like, let's just get a dog to save the marriage. Um, Toby is bored at work. There's not enough going on in the town for him to feel big and important. He wants to start the college and distance conversation and what's going to happen when Spencer goes to school. But Spencer very much does not. He tells her that he doesn't want to hold her back. Lie. But he can't imagine having her go away. Come with me, she suggests, sounding entirely unconvinced by her own suggestion. Uh, Just then her phone chimes again. And it's Caleb and Toby picks up the phone and looks at it and gets very, very mad. He demands that she tell him uh, that she that she tell him what's going on like she's a child. Then he throws her phone onto the Scrabble board. Always a really great sign when your partner is destroying your property. Uh, Then demands that she and Caleb stop what they are doing. Uh, he is really awful in this moment. And I do really like how Spencer just kind of looks at him and is like, whatever you say, officer. And then he storms out. Yeah. For the second episode in a row, he storms off after shouting angrily at his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And like seeming very physically imposing, uh, destroying her property. Like he... He is just, the red flags are just, it's it's like he's just swaddled in red flags at this well, point. Well, yeah, he didn't just leave her phone alone. Like, he grabbed it and picked it up and read the message. And then, like, if you are squeamish, do not prod the beach rubble, got really mad about what he saw. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, the, another thing that's just very fascinating about all of this is, like, this can all be read as Caleb and Spencer are hooking up. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, he found a text from Caleb about their hookup and is mad. Like, there, there's another moment later between Hannah and Caleb that also definitely has that vibe. And again, I'm like, what are we doing? What are we doing here, folks? It's a great, great question. But yeah, Toby in this scene is absolutely awful. And when Spencer refuses to tell him what they were up to, because... In just the last episode, he was like, there are things you can't tell me I can't know about. So when she, like, respects that and is like, well, actually, I can't tell you, it only makes him more angry. Right. Like, the truth is, it's not that he wants her to keep these things from him. He just wants to, like, be in control about what, uh, like, what she is and isn't doing. Yeah. Oh, 100, 110%. Yeah. Man, the heterosexuality in this episode is very, it's, it's rough. We have that scene and now here, here we go with this. I just have to ask a question, which is, is this the most uncomfortable proposal scene you've ever seen on television? Cause it must, it's up there. Like it feels like everybody's on their way to a funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's definitely up there. I I would say um, it is one of the more awkward ones from like film and, and TV. Um, I am a sports person, so I feel like 
it is it is very unsafe to go to a sporting event uh and and expect not to see some straight couple proposing to one another on the jumbotron and i always like I always just like cringe because sometimes like you see in like the lady's eyes that like she would really like to not be in front of this giant crowd of people who are all cheering for her to say yes. Um, so I feel like all of those proposals are a little more uh, a little more awkward and uncomfortable. But those are like real life and very sad. I like I am on record as thinking that public proposals are like. I think a horribly manipulative betrayal. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. Well, and also I, I think that it shouldn't like there, the worst thing a proposal could be is a surprise. Like, I mean, it's fine if you're going to like surprise with like the method of how you're asking, like you wait till you're like on top of a Ferris wheel or something like, okay, fine. But like, I don't think that like, it should be a surprise that one person is thinking about getting married seriously enough that they have purchased a ring. Yes. Yes. I agree. Uh, All right. I'll I'll let you talk about this terrible scene now. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, Pastor Ted proposes to Ashley via peanut butter cookie. It is as hard (laughs) to swallow as you might expect. Also, it's really very awkward that he has roped Hannah into being there. And just in general, Ashley seems a bit shocked by what's happened, which is not a great <laughs> sign. Um, she rightfully asks for some more time to think it over. And Ted, like Ted has the nerve to seem a bit taken aback that she doesn't just swoon into an acceptance on the spot. Like he expects this lady to just be like hypnotized by diamonds and just fall over. Uh, thinking that she must marry like the first uh, the first Christian pastor man who asks, and I I know that we're supposed to think like, oh Ashley's hesitation here is you know basically she doesn't get to be happy now because she boned Jason, but I mean infidelity is quite often a symptom of a failing relationship disguised as the cause, and it seems really clear that Ashley is not super interested in marrying Pastor Ted. Uh, Also of note, a chunk of this proposal is about how it changed his life when he moved to town, which is hilarious because I guess he was living elsewhere out in the wide world when he encountered Mary Drake and has, you know, now just happened (laughs) to move to the town where his unknown daughter is terrorizing his would-be future stepdaughter. Whew, that is a lot. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. I forgot about that, like, late seasons reveal of, like, oh god, we forgot to reveal who Charlotte's dad is. Um, quick, dartboard, Pastor Ted! Uh, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Like, first of all, he has not, like, set the mood at all. Like, there's, it's not like there's any, like, music or candles. Like, it is just dead silent in this kitchen, while Hannah just like practically is like hiding behind her hands in the background. Like you could just see being like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then like the way that Ashley like kind of pulls the ring out of his hand, like looks at it and like the sound, the sound design is very good in this scene because the sound of the ring just like pathetically dropping back onto the plate is like so, so tragic under this giant peanut butter cookie. And the way that Ashley queen, Easily is like, he's like a peanut butter. 
butter cookie. Yeah, like the one we had the night we first met. Like you can tell that she just like she can feel it coming and is so upset. It is so uncomfortable. Also, like I feel like the the Ted relationship is such an example of like this is the relationship that Ashley thinks she should want. You know, this is the guy that Ashley thinks she should be with. Much like how Toby is the guy that Spencer thinks she should be with. Um, and, but it's like, this is not actually the person that she wants to be with. This is not actually the life she wants. Ashley does not want to be a pastor's wife. Definitely, definitely agree. So back from the commercial break, Hannah is walking poor Ted out. I I feel so bad for Hannah that she has to like be the one to like psych this dude up on the walk out the door. Like clearly Ashley just like ran upstairs and like threw up or started crying. And be like, better luck next time, champ. Like, she was just a little overwhelmed. It'll all be okay. Um, she says he did everything right, which he did not. Um, I think the audience is supposed to want them to get married, but I certainly do not. After Ted leaves, Ashley comes down the stairs feeling tearful and guilty. She says that he's such a good man who deserves the truth. But she does not say that she, you know, loves him and wants to be with him forever. Uh, she sits down on the stairs and Ashley or Hannah comes over and leans on her mom's knee and it is very sweet. Yeah, this is a nice nonverbal moment uh, of silent comfort on the Marin stairs. I do. I do really like that. Um, but also, so so what do you think that Ashley's reaction is like Ted proposed? Ashley was like, I need some time to think about this. And then do you think she like excused herself and was like, I have a migraine. I need to go upstairs and lay down. Or do you think she just like beat feet out of the kitchen? She was like, I have to go upstairs to the bathroom. And then she just like stayed up there for so long that it became apparent that she wasn't going to be returning downstairs. Like what, what do we think her response was? <laughs> I need to go take a bubble bath just for the next six hours. Me and my box of wine need to think this over. Um, I I think she was just probably like, I, I'm feeling a bit faint or something. You know, she, I also could see like Ted seems like the kind of guy who would be like deeply uncomfortable about like periods and stuff. And so I could see Ashley being like, oh, I'm having cramps. And Ted being like, enough said, I'm out of here, ladies. <laughs> Either way, I feel like um, I, I feel like that is not a great sign for the ultimate success of your suit. Well, my question is, how long was it just Hannah and Ted alone in that kitchen? And how long do you think it took Hannah to be like, so uh, you're going to eat that peanut butter cookie, Ted? Or can I just have a little nibble of that? <laughs> I I imagine that maybe what happened is that like Ashley like Ashley and Ted like went out to the, like she went to go upstairs and he like followed her out to the living room and Hannah very quickly like opened her mouth and ate the entire cookie uh before Ted returned to the kitchen to wait some more. That's what I think probably happened. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Oh man. Um can, oh, can I take the next two? Because the, the Aria one is really short. 
Oh, absolutely. Because I know you have some words for Talia. <laughs> I do, I do, I do. So Aria sits on her bed, pouring over her CVS receipt, uh, a.k.a. her giant printout of her letter to Jackie and the admissions office. She looks at her phone as if to call president and then does not. And that's like a sign of how much phone business there is in this episode. Now we get a scene of Aria thinking about using the phone, but deciding not to. Cool. Yes. Now. Now <laughs> we are at the point in the episode where my previous good opinion of Talia is about to be dissolved into sludge. Emily. <laughs> comes into the brew to pick up her paycheck as if it's 1994, but probably <laughs> actually because Prezra wants to have multiple opportunities to engage with young women one-on-one. -on -one. As he goes over to the register to get it, like the big important manly man, owner of the establishment, Talia appears and gives Emily a real once-over. Now, we're later gonna learn that Talia is married. So she is a married adult woman who is now choosing to check out a teenager that she is working with. No wonder she and Prezra are friends. Uh, she drops some compliments about how good casual looks on Emily. Uh, and then she asks Emily her opinion on whether the boss man has a nice set of buns. I have so many objections to this. First of all, <laughs> I'm writing Talia up for inappropriate behavior in the workplace. This is going to be a verbal warning, but she needs to demonstrate better judgment and reasonable boundaries in the future, or we will be escalating her performance improvement plan, number one. <laughs> Second, on a personal level, why is she calling his ass a set of buns? <laughs> this is a very strange example of how the show sometimes reverts to sock hop style dialogue for no real reason. Third, is this a good way to gauge queerness? Especially since Talia herself is bisexual. One would think that she would be aware of the fact that it is not. If you are in fact going to creep on other people's buns, because that's your <laughs> best idea, should you not focus on lady buns? <laughs> And last, but not least, there is a universe full of ways to gauge queerness that do not involve encouraging someone to stare at the ass of any man. Let's, let's brainstorm. Talia could ask Emily if her ex was an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. She could casually ask Prezra, predator to predator, what's Emily's deal? <laughs> She could chat Emily up about what music or movies or books she likes to see what proportion of those might be queer. She could look Emily up on social media. She could, although she shouldn't because she's an adult married woman, ask Emily out and see what she says. She could gather her friends to do a sous chef style mission to determine the potential queerness of Laura Perkins, a la the L word. She could casually drop into conversation info about female celebrities she finds attractive. She could mention an article that she read on Autostraddle. <laughs> she could write, you gay, check yes or no on a napkin and slide it over to her. All of these ways would be better than this. <laughs> uh, also, Emily's answer is extremely noncommittal, so she receives basically no information from this 
pathetic experiment. Oh my god, I am dying. <laughs> Do you have, I mean, what? which of these methods, like, how, how would you go about it in your life if you were trying to find out if someone was queer or I, not? I feel like the most obvious, because she already has an in with the ex thing, I feel like the most <laughs> obvious is to ask about the ex. Also, does Talia know that Prezra and Arya are a couple? Because if so, I mean, how could she not? Because, like, they're so obvious about it. It's so, so weird that she would be like, Emily, the like, let's talk about the buns, not only of your boss and former English teacher, but also the buns that belong to the boyfriend of your best friend. Like, there are so many wild inappropriate parts about this line of questioning but also like Talia you had an in with the ex thing like I don't even know I I think that they're trying to to imply that like Talia is just very awkward about her own queerness and like doesn't know how to do this right or something or maybe they're trying to like play the long game and be like oh maybe Talia is going to be like a romantic foil for Prezra LOL, she's like 10 years too old to be his type. But it's it, like, it's such a weird, it's such a weird note to put into this episode. And it forces us, the audience, to think about Prezra's buns, which is like the biggest travesty of all. I was going to say, doesn't Talia have a food metaphor for queerness? Like, can't she have <laughs> some kind of vegetable that she's like, it's so versatile wink wink um but you, maybe maybe the buns is a food metaphor it is where is sydney with her various beefs and talia's buns we could have that whole sandwich that spencer was supposed to make for garbage johnny no ham he doesn't like the texture um you know never watched Grey's Anatomy, did you? Uh, I, I've seen a few episodes because of Station 19 crossovers, but I've never watched the whole thing. Okay. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole part, there's a whole storyline where in, I don't remember what season it is, like season four or five or something, Callie is, has like realized that she's bisexual, but she's, and she's like preparing to have sex with a woman for the first time and is very, very nervous about it. And she has this conversation with Dr. Bailey where Dr. Bailey makes this whole very extended metaphor about like, I think it's about like Ethiopian food as like a metaphor for like new sexual experiences. And it's actually very sweet. Like she's actually being very supportive, but, and it's like a lot, it's like a classic, like long Grey's Anatomy monologue, you know? And I think it ends with something about like in, in Ethiopia, they eat, they eat, their meat with like spongy bread or something like it's something that's like a little suggestive. I feel like Talia needs to like deliver a weird monologue like that to Emily. That's like almost incomprehensible about like, what are you trying to say to me? I would be like, I would be just absolutely beside myself. If in a work environment, someone was like, check out those I would want nothing to do with this person. Like, I would be like, okay, I already like really wasn't such a fan of her as a coworker. Like, 
this seals the deal. We're not going to have like a friendly coworker relationship. Like we're going to show up and do our job, but I am not engaging with this person whatsoever. It's also like, I feel like the way that she does it too, like it's such a, it's such a straight woman thing to be like, Hey girl, check out. I mean, <laughs> nobody says check out this bus, but like, it's such a, like there is nothing in her delivery that feels at all. Like she's gauging queerness even though that is like what she is trying to do because we find out later so it's just the whole thing is just it's bad it's just it's just so bad it really is i think that probably talia knows that prezra uh is dating a high schooler and she's just kind of assuming that maybe it's emily because she's seen him around emily a lot yeah that could be i guess i don't know so if what what food if Talia was going to make a food metaphor to ask about Emily's queerness what food metaphor do you think she should go with I mean all of her food metaphors have been for shit so she's obviously like she's obviously like not very good at them um I think that she should probably like maybe she could do something with spices like talk about um like talk about adding different spices to a dish or something, see how Emily interprets that. Um, or I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm trying to, she'd have to do it in a way that Emily like just can't mistake what she's going after. And it seems like Emily wants so little to do with her that she's hardly listening most of the time. So that would That's be That's true. That's true. Yeah, it, it, it would be, it would be. Oh God, Talia. Tell you the math. Like, what would your reaction be if someone told you to look at someone's buns while at work? (laughs) I think I would just be like, no, thank you, please. Like, quickly walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just very, it's like so many layers of inappropriate the way that. The advice columnist uh, answer is that you should like, you should like respond by saying like, what an odd thing to say. Gosh, I bet you're so embarrassed. (laughs) I'd be embarrassed if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) That you would say something like that. You you must want me to immediately forget that I heard that. So I will. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, God. So from that bizarre scene to another bizarre scene, Johnny Garbage Artist shows up at Spencer's door and just starts shouting the word egg a whole bunch of times. He's like, egg. And Spencer's like, what? And he's like, egg. And Spencer's like, what? And he's like, egg. And Spencer's like, oh, right, egg. I could have avoided this whole interaction by just reaching into the fridge and handing you another egg, but... Now we have this fun scene. Aren't we all happy to be here? Uh, also, Johnny is rude. Uh, he has been reading local news all day. He seems super suspicious as he asks her if she was friends with Allison. Uh, he says that knowing, you know, what Allison was capable of, he can imagine why Spencer would date a cop. He saw the acceptance letters and he asks if she's trying to get away and if she's read her letters. He says that he bailed on college and lightly encourages her to do the same. Uh, Spencer says, you know, she's very world weary at this point and she might not be able to handle something as mundane as college. Uh, there's another cell phone beep, which is Caleb, uh, telling her to call him back, 
uh, but she doesn't, wanting to talk more about Italy. Uh, Johnny Garbage Artist says that he started his journey in London. Did he encounter one Alex Drake? That is what I would like to know. Also, I feel like, weirdly, Alex Drake and Johnny Garbage Artist would be kind of a power couple. Like, I don't know. I feel like it would work. Um, I... He would be like the scruffy little gang of, like, you know, of... of Traitor Of London. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he could be part of the crew with, like, weird scuzzy Ren and, like, Charlotte and Rollins. Like, they could do, like, art heists. <laughs> I actually, I think that that is a great, uh, a great use of his character. I am with you on that. Um, I really scoffed at the part where he starts talking about Italy and he says that he would like, he would trade like a sketch or a drawing for like room and board for the night or whatever. (laughs) And I say, so you like hustled your way through Europe trying to give people drawings and (laughs) sketches for room and board, but like in the space of five hours, you couldn't get an egg anywhere else, but here at the Hastings <laughs> house. <laughs> Nobody wanted to trade you a doodle for an egg. <laughs> Not even just to get rid of you. <laughs> I pay people in my artwork. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Yeah, and he's, like, going on about, like... If anyone showed up at my door yelling, egg, 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 I would give them an egg! (laughs) Go on their way! Jeez! I know. I know, he's terrible. And also, like, he... He, like, goes on a whole thing about how, you know, what is he's like, oh, college is just, like, people in bunk beds, like, pretending they know about the world, you know, and, like, I needed to, like, experience the world. And clearly we're, like, meant to think, like, Spencer is intrigued by this lifestyle. But this is these are just recycled lines from, like, Riley and his guitar, Antonio. Like, they, they, just, they just picked up some scraps from that episode and threw them in here. Uh, maybe Riley could join the, like, street urchin gang as well. You know, oh, why not? I like that. I like that. They, you know, always recruiting. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, could the Caleb thing feel even more like an affair? I think not. Oh, yeah. It's because she's not allowed to talk to him because of Toby's prohibition on them interacting, apparently. Right. And the way she's like, no, I won't take this phone call is very, like... I, like, I don't trust myself around you kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, so speaking of Caleb, he arrives at Hannah's house. And this is where she has the line, have you been with Spencer this whole time? Uh, which, why do you ask, Hannah? What an interesting question. Yes. Uh, she brings him up to speed on the pastor pro- prosal, uh, but he has come with grim news. He checked into who rented the storage unit, and it's been rented in Hannah's name. And he's pretty sure that Mona's body is hidden inside of it. Hannah, already having an emotionally difficult night, uh, her eyes go wide. And this is our, like, gasp moment at the end of the episode. It is kind of a, a satisfying little twist, you know, um, because you because th- Caleb comes in and I had actually forgotten how this episode ended. And I thought because he seems like he has to tell her something. 
shockingly, it's not that he just hooked up with Spencer. Um, but it seems like he's going to say, like, Hannah, I think that we found Mona's body. And then he's like, no, the, the bin is registered to you. Also, she reveals that Ashley cried herself to sleep, which is just so like, oh, God, like how how deeply tragic. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Uh, so our little A tag here, it's finally not an Allison tag, but it might be a Holbrook tag because A sneaks into Holbrook's office, opens a drawer with a key, pulling out a bag of caramels and signing into Holbrook's computer, ha- knowing what the password is and starting to scroll around. Yeah, this is like an interesting A tag because it doesn't really like it, it doesn't really mean anything. They're just trying to. They're just trying to, like, bolster the stakes of this could be Holbrook. Right. And, it, yeah, it's such a clear misdirect. It's like they're not going to reveal that Holbrook is a, you know, a few episodes into this season. Right. Um, yeah. So that that is that is the episode. What are, what are your final thoughts? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it was a it was a fun but mostly filler episode, I feel like. Uh, I did. I, I yeah. feel like the the Spalum stuff is really at the heart of this particular story. I agree, and it is. It's kind of like Arya was on the hamster wheel, and so are we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. that's very much the vibe here. Um, the next episode is the Bin of Sin, uh, which that's you know we we had Caleb almost dying in the kiln, and we're gonna have uh, some freezer action happening with uh spencer Arya, and emily so that's that's a fun that's a fun moment yeah yeah that is gonna be that is gonna be a good time i think i had remembered the barrel episode as being kind of a slog uh but i'd actually forgotten there are two episodes where the barrel comes into play i just remember the barrel being like this thing that like hannah and caleb were constantly arguing about in the halls of the the storage unit area um so we'll we'll see. I do like the ice cream factory. I feel like that's one of the more exciting uh, escapades that they get up to in this half season. So I am looking forward to that. Yeah, I feel like in in the absence of some interesting plot, like we've had like some interesting locations. Like we had like the trailer park last week, and then we'll have like the ice cream factory next week. We had like the killed room at school. So. <laughs> You know, oh, we had the the storage unit in this one. So it's like, yeah, they, they don't really maybe know what's going on plot wise, but at least we have some fun locations. Yeah, yeah. And we have been having like I've enjoyed the character combinations that we've been uh yes. that we've been getting, the Spencer Caleb stuff particularly, but also like we got Aria Jason, we got Ashley Jason. Um, you know, I'm I'm here for, for those more, you know, rare pair type scenes. For sure. For sure. Um, do we have any more to say about over a barrel? <laughs> I I don't think that we do. But if you have any thoughts on better ways that Talia could be gauging Emily's queerness, please feel free to email and let us know. Yes, yes. Uh, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can also... Uh, sending a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. We will be back next week with Bin of Sin. So everybody put on your jackets because we're going into the ice cream shop. Till then. Take care.